0: have a seat and uh, if you have a Bible then you can turn to uh, Luke chapter 12. We'll get there in just a second. If you have a house Bible somebody can give me a page number for that and I'll pass it on to those around us. Just shout it out when you got it. The Advent reading this morning, uh, if you heard that, it, it was really talking about a, uh, an invading kingdom. That is coming into the world that we live in. That this Messiah was coming, but he was coming to establish a new kingdom. And as establishment of that new kingdom, he is king. It's really an invading message. You know, we've been talking for the last couple of weeks, getting ready for this holiday season, that Christ came as a baby, but he also came as a priest who became a sacrifice. He came as a prophet who was the living word of God. And today we're going to talk about that he came as the king who was also a servant. So who's got uh, the page number of Luke chapter 12? 723. Did I say that right? Okay. So Jesus came as a king. And you know, that may not be a strange thing for you, especially if you grew up in the church or if you've been driving around town and you've seen some of the churches, you know, Christ the king. Christ is Lord. He rules. He reigns. Like, what does that mean? You know, what does that really mean? Do you, do you live in the reality that Christ is your king? You know, when he was born, the Magi, they all gathered and even went to Herod and said, we're in search of the king of the Jews. That they recognized that he wasn't coming to be king. Jesus was coming as king. So they were in search of the king of the Jews. And at the very end of Christ's life, what was the question that Pontius Pilate asked Jesus? They say that you're a king. Are you a king? And he says, it is as you say. For that's the very reason that I came, to give testimony to that fact and to the truth. Jesus so acknowledged that he was the king of his kingdom that they ridiculed him for it. If you remember the story of his crucifixion, they hammered onto his head a crown of thorns. Why? Because they were mocking the fact that he was being crucified because he was claiming to be king of a kingdom. They even put on the cross right above him, king of the Jews. And the Jews were offended by that because they were saying, he's not our king, but the Romans were mocking him for the reality that he was claiming and being crucified for claiming to be God and to be a king. Jesus came to be a king or came as a king. But what does that mean to us today? Because in reality, a king isn't something that I relate to easily. I mean, I've never had a king. I've never lived in the, you know, I've got ideas, you know, from movies where kings live in big castles and they seem to be abusive kind of creatures, you know, where they have all the glory and the wealth and the fame of the land while everybody else is impoverished, you know, and we've even been joking and talking in English accents around the office all week, you know, the royals, and I won't tell you some of the jokes, they're inappropriate, but, but I want to propose to you this morning and have you think with me for a minute. I believe that Every one of us has within us a desire for a king. Matter of fact, I believe that it is like the thumbprint of God on us. Even from the fall, we're born with a desire for a king. And we all are able to relate to the idea of having a king. For example, keep your finger on Luke chapter 12. If you want to travel with me to the left, go to Samuel chapter 8, 1 Samuel, Chapter eight, and let me tell you what's going on here. You know, we talked about uh, we studied the book of Joshua uh, all this fall and them taking the Promised Land. Well, Samuel, here's a situation: God's people is live are living in the Promised Land. They're surrounded by the Philistines. There's all kind of conflicts that are going on, and Samuel is the prophet of God who is directing by through God is directing the nation of Israel through Samuel. And in chapter 8, the people come to Samuel, and they, they say, we want a king. Give us a king to lead us, they said in, in uh, chapter 8, verse 6. And uh, verse 19, Samuel goes through great lengths to communicate to them from God what a king is like. And listen to what they said. Verse 19, the people refused to listen to Samuel, and they said No. We want a king over us. Then we'll be like all the other nations, with a king to lead us and go out before us and to fight our battles. What they were saying was, we want a king that can fight our battles for us. In other words, why would we want someone to fight our battles for us? Unless we felt like that we weren't capable of fighting our own battles, Or maybe we're afraid. Or maybe we just want someone who's strong enough to protect us. Someone who can come in and get this. Make me feel safe. And you know, we can all relate to that. Because I can tell you personally, I'm ready to have a coronation service for anything that will come into my life, fight my battles for me, protect me, Give me what I desire and make me feel safe. I'm ready to crown anything that will do that. Because let me state something that's very clear. Renee and I, yesterday morning, Renee's my wife, we uh, were having time over coffee and, and just talking about life. And I was sharing with her that sometimes I feel like in my own life that on the surface, everything seems to be all together. That, you know, I mean, all of you sitting here today, You all look pretty clean. Some of you do, Uh, you know. And maybe the people around you aren't offensive with their odor. I mean, they they smell okay, you know. And everybody's kind of dressed and not inappropriately. We we seem to have it all together. But sometimes I feel like that in this world of where we give each other this surface stuff, where we you know we're cordial and we're nice. You know, we're not coming here and vomiting up all our stuff. But I feel like sometimes that under me, un, underneath all of that, sometimes, like, like a, if you've ever been in a cave, if you've ever been in a cave and you've gone down far enough to where you've left the surface behind, and down deep enough, there's a little river going through, and how quaint and nice that is. You know, you got your little candlelight. But I believe sometimes in me that that's not a quaint little river. It's like a roaring, raging river that's going on underneath the surface that no one can see, and that, that world is just raging with all kinds of things like desires and disappointments and pain and grief and fear about the future our fear about processing the past our fear about the present. And on the banks of that raging river are these just incredible boulders of insecurity and self-doubt with a desire for self-protection, a desire for self-glorification, A desire for self somehow to be protected in such a way that I matter. And I see these big boulders that want to rise up and try to defend myself, but in the water it's just raging with fear and insecurities and doubts. Do you ever feel that way? (laughs) You guys are saying, man, he needs counseling. It's true. See, when that world's existing deep down inside of me, I discover something about myself. There is a desire within me to tame me. I want to tame that river and that river in reality is my heart and I want to tame my heart and you know my heart is a wild and dangerous place that I cannot tame. I mean it is crazy wild. Have you ever tried to understand why you feel certain things? Have you ever tried to understand why you are where you are emotionally in your own heart or why certain things are a struggle? Have you ever tried just to say, I'm just going to change the way I feel and find that it is a raging river? It is an out-of-control wild land like the uh, movie Jumanji, you know, and Robin Williams swinging through the woo, you know, and lions everywhere. That's what my heart feels like sometimes, that it is out of control. And let me tell you, when I'm afraid of my own heart, and I'm afraid of whether or not I'm going to be able to survive the next day, guess what? I will coronate anything that will come in and say, I can control this place. For example, money. Boy, money has a sweet little romantic call in my life. Randy. i had enough of that then possibly I could control that world called the wildness of my own heart or the raging river of my own desire for self-promotion, self-glorification, and self-protection. Or what about sexuality? That's another one. If I can just look good enough, if my abs really were a six-pack, you know, what are, what, rather than, uh, what do they call the growlers, you know, then possibly... Maybe if I had enough sex appeal, then people would like me enough, people would desire me enough, and then if they desired me enough, that would tame that. That would tame the wildness of that world. If enough people said, man, you're not just okay, you're amazing. See how easy it is to make that king in our lives? Because it just feels like maybe that will tame the wildness or education. Have you ever been there where you feel like that if you just knew enough of the right answers... Or if you could just find somebody who seemed to have enough of the right answers. And if you could just lean into them enough and you could just listen and you could learn the things that you need to learn, then that would tame the wildness of your own heart. Or I like, you know, jobs, careers, doing well in school. You know, when you've got a test coming up, it's easy to believe that if you just do great on that test, then the rest of your life is going to be easy. Well, trust me, I'm out of school now, and that's absolutely correct. If I'd have just made a better grade on that Econ 202 class, I would not be in this place right now. Or how about relationships? You know, it is so easy. It is so easy to fall into a relationship and believe and live under the illusion that if I coronate this person, king of my life, they have the power to rule the craziness of that underground river. This person's going to fix me. This person's going to make me happy. This person's going to fill me up. This person is going to rescue me from fear and self-doubt, and they're going to make me feel like a valuable person. I'm ready to crown them king and queen of my life. Or meditation, or medication, whichever you prefer. But here's the one that I think is the most glorious, and this fits right into Christmas. I am ready almost every day to crown expectation as king of my life. Because none of the present reality can rule the craziness of that underground river and the wildness of my heart. So I put expectations of what things should be tomorrow. Like Christmas, for example. We have expectations of what Christmas should be like. Whatever that may be for you. And so we live and we coronate this image in our minds and we make it king of our lives that if Christmas just turned out like that, then the raging river would stop raging. And of course we get into it. And what do expectations do? Well, I'm not going to say what they really do because we're in church and we don't talk with language like that. But let's put it this way. They're not nice to us. They should go to prison for what they do to us. Because expectations leave us more empty and shallow than we did when we put our hope in them. Our heart is a wild place. And when we give coronation to something, we give it our time, we give it our affections, and we give it our resource. Hmm. For example, if I make the decision in my life that the only way I'm going to calm that raging river is to bring peace in my life, that i want peace in my life then i will avoid conflict at all costs and of course that does bring peace in our life doesn't it okay for some of you that are doing that no it doesn't all right you're avoiding conflict but it's like trying to hold your breath all right you can only do it for so long and one or two things that happen You either close off the caves that leave that raging river, shut the door on your heart and say, I'm not going to live there anymore, or you die. And guess what? God did not make us to live without hearts. He's inviting us into the song of the craziness of that heart. But he comes as king of that place. Because he knew that we needed a king. And he knew that, uh, that any kingdom or anything that we crown as king other than him would destroy us. Listen to what Samuel said to the people right before they said, no, we'll take a king. He says, this is what the king who will reign over you will do. This is in 1 Samuel 8. I'm in verse 10, now 11. He said this. He said, he will take your sons and make them serve with his chariots and horses, and they'll run in front of his chariots. Some he will assign to be commanders of thousands and commanders of fifties and others to plow. Uh, I lost my place to plow some of the chariots around in front of some of you assigned to be commanders of thousands, others to plow his ground and reap his harvest, and still others to make weapons of war and equip, equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers and cooks and bakers. He will take the best of your fields and vineyards and olive groves and take them for his attendance. He will take, you keep hearing this, he will take, he will take, he will take, he will take a tenth of your grain in your vineyards and give it to his officials and attendants your men servants and maid servants and the best of your cattle and donkeys he will take for his own he will take a tenth of your flock and you yourself will become his slaves when that day comes you will cry out for relief from the king you have chosen and the lord will not answer you in that day you hear what he's saying when we crown anything in our lives as king it will take it will make us its slave And we will cry out to God for relief from it. Wow. Even though our desire for a king is good, what we really need is the good king. And Jesus says, I am that king. He was the king that came to establish his kingdom. But in establishing his kingdom, he turns our kingdom on its head. Isn't it true? Jesus came and violently opposed the kingdom of my own heart. Because when, when Jesus showed up, he said, the first shall be last. He said, if you want to be a leader, you must become a servant. If you want to learn how to forgive, first you, n- you first need to learn how to be forgiven. If you want to be a great lover, first you have to learn and let yourself be loved. He turned everything on its head. And our king came not to rule in the way that we expect a king to rule, but he came to be a servant. Now, go to Luke chapter 12. Beautiful story here that Jesus gives. As he talks about in chapter 12, verse 13. Sorry here, kind of lost my way again. Um, No, verse 35. Jesus says, Be dressed and ready for service, and keep your lamps burning like men waiting for their master, their king, to return from a wedding banquet, so that when he comes and knocks, they can immediately open the door for him. It will be good for those servants who masters find them watching when he comes. Why? Why is it good when we wait for our master? And he comes and he finds us waiting for him. Is it because when he walks in the door uh, that we can wait on him? And he knows that we're ready to serve him? Well, listen, it'll be good for those servants whose master finds them watching when he comes. And I tell you the truth, he, speaking about the master, the king, will dress himself to serve. We'll have them recline at the table and will come and wait on them. It would be good for those servants whose master finds them ready when he comes in the second or third watch of the night. Do you get how outrageous this is? That he's saying that it's good for you when you wait on the true king, because when he comes, he is going to put on the apron of a servant, and then he's going to serve us. Our Jesus is the king who came to serve Isn't it crazy? Because, you know, often when we come to church, what we hear is God is disappointed with us and we need to get busy and serve him. But the true gospel is that God is saying, no, first I serve you. See, our Savior came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Even Peter, the apostle, when Jesus was washing their feet, Peter stood up and said, you cannot wash my feet. And Jesus said to him, if you don't let me wash your feet, you can have nothing to do with me. In other words, if you don't let me serve you, you can have nothing to do with my kingdom. I mean, that's radical, isn't it? In Ephesians chapter 2, you can write this down and go there later if you'd like to run over there with me real quick. It's a powerful passage because it starts out in verse 1 saying, You were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you, were, when you followed the way of this world, that we were dead. And then in verse 4 he says, But by his great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ. So the first thing he did is he brought us from death to life. That's what Christ does for us through his sacrifice on the cross. Is taking our sins upon him. He brought us from death to life. It was something we could not do for ourselves. Christ has to do that for us. It's something that we have to receive. We have to let him wash us. Down here in verse 12, it says, You are separated from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenant of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. In verse 13, But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away, have been brought near through the blood of Christ. We've been brought into his kingdom. Isn't that beautiful? And don't you kind of like that idea that, uh, that we've got a God that serves us? Does that, how does that sit with you? That we've got a king who comes and says, I will rule over the raging river of your own heart. I'll come into the wildness of your heart. And I'm not going to tame it, I'm going to rule over it and bring you into the glorious understanding of the great expression of that place. How does that grip you that God wants to serve you in that way? That he loves us so much that he sent his son, humbled himself and became a baby so that he could live a perfect life and pay the perfect price to usher us into the kingdom as citizens of the kingdom of heaven. I kind of like that. But then it gets a little scary. Because this same vibe of our king that he came to serve now beats within us. Once again, it's kind of like the Jumunji. I don't know why that movie's just on me today, but the beating of the drum, boom, boom, boom. That's beating within us now. That the king has come and served us, and now he rules over the wildness of our own heart, and he calls us into the wildness of that journey. Go back to Luke chapter 12. Because surrounding this whole chapter... Where he talks about the king that comes to rule are some pretty outrageous stuff. Look at verse 22. Therefore, Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. Life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Then he starts talking about the lilies of the field and how you know they're dressed in all kinds of glory and it's better than anything you'll ever wear and God did that. Do you not think he's going to take care of you too? Then he says things like, do not set your heart on what you will eat or drink. Do not worry about it for the pagans run after all such things, meaning people that are of the other kingdom, the kingdom of darkness that you've been rescued. That's how they live. Now, don't live like that anymore. Don't run after those things Now understand that the ruler of your new kingdom, he knows you needs all these things. And then he says in verse 31, Seek first his kingdom, and these things will be given to you as well. Then he lays this bomb. It's not enough that he says to us sitting here, Hey, don't worry. And he says that. Don't worry. (laughs) Okay, we got that one down. So don't do that this week, all right? Don't worry. Then he goes so far as to say, hey, quit running after all the things that everybody else is running after. In other words, stop crowning other things king of the wildness of your heart. Stop doing it. Stop believing that success or fame or reputation or the world applauding you or whatever that may be, that those things are going to tame the wildness of your heart because they won't. Stop letting those be king. And seek first the kingdom that you've been born into now. The kingdom that beats in you, boom, boom. Let that be what you set your heart on now. Okay, great. If that's not enough, listen to what he says next. If you're not mad yet, then you, this this will make you mad. Do not be mad. No, it doesn't say that. That'd be great, wouldn't it? Quit being ticked off. Listen to Randy. Now, verse 32. Don't. Do not be afraid, little flock. Why? Because your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. The king has come. Quit being afraid. And what does no fear look like? Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Ugh. I thought fear would be like living in a big house and being rich. Provide purses for yourself that will not wear out. Hear the new kingdom talk. A treasure in heaven that will not be exhausted. Where no thief comes near, no, mount, mount, no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart Will be also. Wow. Don't worry. Stop running. Stop seeking. Stop being afraid. You know what he's saying there? He's saying if you want to know what your kings are, it's pretty simple. What do you worry about? Behold your king. What are you afraid of? Behold your king. What are you running after? Behold your king. And Jesus is saying, put it down. Put it down. Not to be standing with your hands empty. Put it down so that you can see that your king has come. We live in a new kingdom now. And let that be what you put in front of your heart. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You hear what he's saying? You hear the wildness of your heart? Let me tell you something about your heart and all its wildness. What you put in front of it and all of its wildness, it'll love. It's just that simple. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to go. What you put in front of this wild, crazy, jumanji jungle of love and craziness and raging river, and you say to it, love that, it'll go, yes, sir. What are you treasuring? When we dare to seek the kingdom, we dare to invite our heart to learn what true love is. We dare to capture the wildness of our inconsistencies and our need for Christ in the world of forgiving, of caring for the poor, of fighting for injustice, of sacrifice, of sharing what we have with others. Because then we begin to act like a holy priesthood. Then we begin to act like those that have been given the words of Christ and speak it with the prophet's power. Then we start living as citizens of the kingdom of God. And then we manifest that kingdom here. Is This crazy. Listen to this. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of others. It's all the language of the new kingdom. Because in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Jesus Christ, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on the cross. Behold your king, who gave everything and became a servant for you so that you could be ushered into his kingdom and live as citizens of his kingdom. And what does that citizenship look like? Nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. We're humble, and we value others above ourselves. Wow. (laughs) Well, where's the awe in that? Because I'm a miserable failure at that. Because when I listen to that, isn't it easy for those things to start becoming burdens? That we're not good at that? In relationships, in marriage... Well, if they become a burden, then you're not understanding the rhythm of this kingdom. Because it's not just that Christ says, now this is what I want you to be. Christ is saying, this is what I am. And where my kingdom is, I am. And he lives within us. And this is the drumbeat that's taking place inside of us. This is the song that we begin to listen to. This is the music that we begin to dance our lives to. This is not the command that's burdened. These are the words that set us free to be what we're truly made to be. Our king has come. See, I'm trying to hard to fan the flame of the awe this season in you. That our Savior came for you. Now, he probably wasn't born on December the 25th. Maybe he was. I don't know. and I'm not sure if Santa Claus was there. He might have been. I don't, I don't know. But I do know this that I can consider every day as powerful and wonderful and beautiful because I am in the kingdom and the kingdom is in me and I am with the king. And that's awe-inspiring. But will you see that? Will you put that in front of your heart? Will you live in that place? Okay, I'm through. Let me tell you a little quick story. Maybe to help put some application to this. Because uh, this is a beautiful thing. It, we let the king come into that caverns of our hearts that are raging out of control and we feel will consume us and he declares his light in that place and he's not afraid of that part of us matter of fact he rules in that part of us well this is a couple of years ago i was uh zipping into exxon over on eighth avenue and i uh, was getting gas and i ran in uh and had to go to the bathroom. So. Uh, I'm, you know, running and over to the bathroom because, you know, have you ever done this where you click, you, you know, you get the gas going, run into the bathroom, then you can come back out and it's through pumping? But I always think that somebody's going to take the hose out and fill their car up, you know? Do you ever think that's that? So I'm looking like, you know, because that's probably something I would do, you know, and uh, so it really exposes more of my own heart. So I'm like, if, you know, you don't want to be out of sight of your gas hose for long, so I had to go to the bathroom, so that's complete out of sight you know, there's no windows in the bathroom. All right, okay. So I, I opened the door only to be surprised that somebody else was in the bathroom. That's awkward, isn't it? He waved. Come on in. No, no, that's not what happened. Okay. <clears throat> this is not confessional, all right? And uh, so I opened the door, and it's this elderly guy in there, and uh, He is dressed to the T, man. He's got this, like, cool, like, hat and kind of tilted to the side and suspenders and a pressed shirt, and he's standing in front of the mirror, and he is just, just going to town. He's just, it's crazy. He's just dancing like nobody's business, and so I kind of shut the door. Like, he looks over and grins, you know, gives me that little wink, and I'm like, shut the door. Seriously, this is what happened, and I'm like, I'm thinking in my mind, dude, that guy's crazy. You know, I'm not thinking uh, anything other than, woo, man, he's lost it. And uh, completely out of touch with reality, and probably won't come out of that bathroom for another 20 minutes. But he comes out and he's smiling and he's kind of just doing this step thing, and, uh, you know, about 70 something years old and just all yours. And uh, I'm thinking he's insane. You know, he's lost it. He's escaped some home somewhere, and they're probably looking for him. You know, he's going around town finding bathrooms that he can dance in front of the mirror of. All right, complete Looney tunes. In other words, he lives in a world that's completely different than the world that I lived in outside the bathroom. Because as soon as I stepped into the bathroom, full revelation took place. Because this is what I heard. You got it? Oh, yeah. This is Earth, Wind, and Fire. Only the greatest band ever in the history of civilization. If you don't know this music, you need to go buy it for Christmas right now. Come on, Aaron, give it to us, man. This is best loud, all right? Have you ever danced to Earth, Wind, and Fire? Then I know right now you can hardly sit still, because I was preparing this yesterday, I was sitting in my office on one of those spinning chairs. I was going to town, man, because it's earth, wind, and fire, baby. Damn. Bring the brass, there you go. Ba-dum, 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 ba-dum. Come on, there you go, come on, man, this is earth, wind, and fire, yes. Come on, Aaron, bring it, baby, is that all we got? Okay, DJ. You just can't stop, man. It's just, even with a broken arm, it's just, you gotta move. I know all of you, man. There's too many white people in this house, all right? Ow, come on. Let it loose. You just wanna, what? Yes. There you go. <laughs> oh, yeah. See? Ring the brass section here. You know the words? Of course you don't. All right? Nobody knows the words of these songs. Okay, thank you, Aaron. Isn't that crazy? Best sermon yet. That's right. Guys, the kingdom is playing its song. And I'm telling you, the world is not going to understand when you're intoxicated with the dance. It's not going to understand it. But that raging river that you're so afraid of, it won't understand it either. But when we step, step into the rhythm of this kingdom, our king has come, and he is saying, dance in the world where there's no worry. Dance in the world where there's no fear. Dance in the world where you're no longer living out of self-protection and self-glorification and self-promotion. You know, Stop. Put those things down. Consider others better than yourself. He said, then you'll begin to hear the song. Then you're going to hear him singing. Then you're going to hear Him rejoicing over you. Then you're going to understand the power that that's been in you now, that He's put that in you. It's no longer us who lives, but Christ who lives in us. That's the song that Christ is singing inside of us, just like earth, wind, and fire. Trust me, He loves them too. I know He does. He told me. (laughs) So what do we do during Christmas? We turn up the music. Behold the Lamb of God who has come to take away the sins of the world and to rescue you from the kingdom of darkness and bring you into the kingdom of light. And he calls us to dance so that the world can see this unusual manifestation of a different kingdom that considers others better than ourselves, that humbles ourselves, and we care for the poor, and we fight for those that are unjust, and we, we love one another in such a way the world is going, what kingdom are you from? I know you got the raging river. I know some of you in the next week are going to step into hell. I know that. But his kingdom goes with us. And he's singing his song. And he lets us dance. Would you dance this season? Would you stir the awe of his love for you, that he came to serve you? And the mystery and the wonder of that? Let's pray. Lord, I thank you just that I thank you, Father, that before any of us were born in this room, before anyone ever spoke our name, before our parents even met each other, before the world was formed, you knew us. And it is your desire to give us a righteousness that would never fade, a righteousness that would last for all of eternity and you've made us to be with you and we know lord on our souls we hunger for a king lord help us to put down the deception of this world the things that we want to coronate and make king in our lives that only rob us of freedom and make us slaves and this morning lord we declare you as king of our lives the one that reigns, and we yield ourselves to your reign, to the reigning of the one who loves us and serves us and cares for us and dares to call us into dangerous places like loving each other. And let us dance, Father. Let us dance in such a way that we manifest your kingdom here on earth. And the world will see you and know you because we love one another. We love you and we love those around us. We praise you, Father, that these things are true. Capture our heart with the awe of them. In Christ's name, amen.